Welcome. Uh, my name is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Wolf, our webcast for consciousness and culture. I am very happy to have with us uh, today from Philadelphia, Amy Edelstein. Amy, hello. Hello. Very nice to be here. It's great to have you here. And if I may say some words about you, you are the founder and the executive director of the Inner Strength Foundation uh, that supports youth development with a mindfulness and system thinking program that you have developed over many years. And you're also co-founder of the Emergent Education and author of several books, amongst them the Consciousness Classroom and the Inner Strength Teachers Manual. Amy, you are working with uh, students, uh, and as I just also heard, uh, also with adults, um, uh, a mindfulness program in context of education, but also in context of uh, difficult social realities uh, that are particular, particular to in Philadelphia. Uh, first, uh, how come? Uh, how 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 did that happen? Uh, what what is motivating you to do this work? That's a great place to start. Um, there are several different ways to answer. One answer is that when 40-some years ago when I was in high school and was a disgruntled teen in a city not so dissimilar to Philadelphia, I, start, I picked up a book and taught myself how to meditate to find my way through the challenge of high school and living in a social era that was filled with turmoil and angst. Um, I spent most of my adult life uh, practicing different forms of mindfulness and meditation and teaching and working with adults. And about six years ago, I resettled in Philadelphia, which is among the 10 largest cities in America, the 10th poorest. And I felt that I wanted to bring the best insights that I had experienced and that helped me transform the most over my adult life to areas in Philadelphia that desperately needed these kind of inner tools. Uh, working with high school students was a little bit of an accident. I had a friend here whose wife was a guidance counselor in one of the schools and asked me if I would come. And I resisted vehemently for about six months. And then I agreed to pilot a program And I fell in love with the kids. 16, 17-year-olds are filled with so many deep questions. They want to know what life is about, who are they, what's their place in the world, how do they get ahead, how do they think for themselves. And I really wanted to engage with them at that level and bring them tools that could support them through the challenges they experience as well as stimulate their creativity and curiosity in a more profound way. I mean, everyone who, who knows uh, uh, schools in uh, difficult areas uh, and in dif difficult uh, social realities knows this is not an easy place. And it's uh, not easy for the kids. It's not easy uh, for, uh, for the teachers. And um, there's a lot going on. Uh, Meditation, mindfulness sounds a little far away from this reality. Um, uh, how did it, um, how did it land? I mean, 
I, I don't think that uh, uh, people in the neighborhoods uh, that you started with and you're working now with many schools and you are uh, also educating teachers doing that, uh, what, what you're doing. Uh, but in uh, the classrooms with the students, um, meditation, mindfulness seems to be very far away from the social realities of our times. So believe it or not, uh, I've had very, almost no resistance, either from the students or the administration. Mm. Um, we, I have uh, eight instructors who I've trained who go into the schools. Over the last six years, we've worked with 10,000 students mm. across 15 schools. Wow. Um, most of those students have gone through a weekly program for 12 weeks, so that's about 12 hours of instruction. So it, it's a fairly, um, it's a good-sized data set. And what I've found is that the, the students uh, really want tools that they can use themselves. They want to be able to calm down. They want to be able to manage their emotional life. They want to deal with anxiety. They want to feel love and kindness. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that, High school students, particularly the boys, would be a little bit too cool to do these kinds of exercises. And we do a a modified love and kindness practice where we send good wishes to self and other. And we put it in terms of cultivating the muscles of care. And I get this. Let me interrupt you. Just imagining uh, the kids you're working with, the students, uh, and also particularly the boys. I mean, when you say the love... uh, Love and kindness are, uh, uh, I have a hard time in visualizing that because it is a very uncool thing. Uh, even the word, uh, love and kindness uh, doesn't really sound, uh, like a, a language that is used in, uh, um, in this, uh, in teenager language so much, but maybe it's completely wrong. That's what I thought too. So I was very reluctant to do it and I found that they, they really like it. And what I'll do is I'll ask the students, you know, I'll explain what the exercise is for and how we're cultivating our own muscles of care. We're really stretching our capacity to care for ourselves and for other people. And, you know, maybe I'll demonstrate, you know, we'll do one together. Then usually what I do is I have them come up with good wishes that they want to wish to themselves and others. Hmm. I go around the room. I hear from all of them. And then I create, I do the exercises with their own wishes. Mm-hmm. And I'll get everything from, you know, may we all ace our test. Mm-hmm. May we all uh, have enough money and be a, you know, and be successful um, to, you know, may I, may we all live to be 18 mm-hmm. because of gun violence. Mm-hmm. And those kind, there are moments of vulnerability that are so real and demonstrate the, the, you know, how young these kids really are. Mm-hmm. That they're, you know, in some way, you, they're not even old enough to have that veil of uh, self-protection. So they just say what's on their mind. And some of what they have to say is the harsh reality of living in intergenerational poverty, mm-hmm. uh, 
82% of the students I work with come from families that are designated as families of poverty, which in Philadelphia is $24,000 a year for a family of four. Wow. 82%. And these are also kids in honors classes, college bound. They're smart. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're really, usually, Every year since I've been doing this, we've lost at least one student either to death by gun violence or uh, to suicide. So I, myself and my teachers are working directly with that kind of grief in a school environment. And love and kindness is very important to these kids. They're definitely not too cool. They, they want it. They resonate with it and it helps them. I was, I was in one school and there was one boy who was, he was 15 and he was a little large for his age. So he's about six two and, and, you know, and, and he couldn't regulate. He couldn't sit still. He couldn't, you know, and the teacher was always wanting him out of the class and I kept feeling like he needed to be there. So, and at the end, I did a love and kindness practice, um, in this class. And when we finished, he, he couldn't contain himself. He, he, he was so big and dysregulated. He just stood up and he was, he was, you know, gesticulating with his arms and he said, you won't believe what happened. I was sitting here and I felt all of my sisters. I have eight sisters and it was like they walked up behind me and then they stood right next to me. He said, I've never felt them before like that. All my sisters were with me. And he doesn't live with all his sisters. They're scattered. And he was so, his whole face softened. And he had this beautiful smile. And it's the kind of deep experience that he'll always remember that. And that will always be with him and that knowledge that by opening himself and allowing himself to send himself good wishes, to send those he loves good wishes, he can, in effect, carry them with him, even when he's in a foster home situation or some mm-hmm. other uh, very lonely place. Is it your experience that this is more than just a, a beautiful moment for people like you're describing, that this is uh, changing life? I mean, you you, worked, you said more than 10,000 uh, st- students are... Uh, you worked how many years by now? Six six years. Six six, six years. Uh, so uh, uh, the, you oversee a, a big landscape of uh, uh, of of impact. Uh, the, does this uh, practicing uh, laughing kindness, meditation, mindfulness, uh, does this change? People, does this change communities? Yes and no. Uh-huh. Um, you know, in some ways it's too soon to say, you know, we have data that shows some, you know, so it depends on how we want to think about change. Um, I, I run into some of my former students in the street where they're, you know, in their second year of college, third year to, of college. And they tell me that they still um, meditate and they've taught their college friends. So they meditate before they study and it really helps them. 
I, you know, saw one student who, you know, now listens to, you know, one of the personal growth people, Joe Dispenza, who's become very popular. And he'd never been introduced to any of that before. He's the first generation in his family to go to college. Really smart, very lovely boy, very shy. And he's come out of himself and he's so excited about life. Anecdotally, I see things like that. Um, I know that kids are touched. I know that their relationships with each other get better. But the the issues that we're dealing with are deep and harsh. And so without without structural change, culturally, jobs, you know, good jobs, you know, stable family life, um, you know, and a lot of other mm-hmm. social services, changing the reality in the city is a big deal. I mean, my initial goal when I founded the program was I wanted to reach a significant percentage of Philadelphia's high school students at least once in their four years. There are 49 high schools, I don't know, 32,000 kids or I don't know, something like that. And I felt like if I could do that for 10 years in a row, we would be liberating so much human potential and creativity that is just buried Mm -hmm. under, you know, a lack of, you know, lack of opportunity, lack of respect, lack of, um, you know, so many different factors that I felt if we could liberate these kids' potential, then so many things would change in the city. Mm-hmm. You know, we could really change outcomes. Six years in, it, it's just incredibly difficult to work with students at that scale to make that deep a change. So we'll see. We'll see if I can get there or we'll see if there's another way around. I think unless we reach a critical mass of students every year, it would be hard to change outcomes in the city. But my feeling is, is, is that we're losing, you know, for the individuals, their, their lives aren't being fulfilled. And as a, as a society, we're just losing so much creative potential because these kids can't overcome the effects of having witnessed trauma they you know it's it's these kids are so resilient but it's very hard and as a culture we're not appreciating that if we're not liberating the creative potential of this generation in 10 years they're going to be the leaders and the entry-level workers and the you know everyone from the bus driver to the to you know, the healthcare practitioner, and they're not going to be giving their best from their, their, their un- irrepressible creativity. They're going to be giving less than their best. And we're all going to experience the effects of that in culture. Mm-hmm. So I feel it's urgent for the individuals and for our shared future. I mean, what you're doing, uh, uh, to some extent, uh, if you kind of, uh, compare with history, uh, and uh, more traditional cultures uh, is a modern secular version of uh, a, a work that uh, a, a rabbi, a priest, uh, uh, and other religious figures would do. Uh, a, in, in the world we're living right now, there are still, particularly in the U.S., uh, religious communities that hold that context. 
uh, but in, in 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 the broader social reality, uh, the secular context is the dominant one. And uh, it seems that what you are doing is uh, related to some inner dimension that usually uh, was particular ground for religious uh, uh, orientation. But what you are doing is uh, holding this in something uh, where it doesn't matter so much what your worldview, what your background is. It's, it's some, um, tell me if I misinterpret you, where it's just the depth of our human experience, quite independently how you interpret it. To, uh, uh, I mean, love and kindness, uh, you can say uh, it, 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 it's a particular language that also comes from Buddhism, but uh, uh, it's not necessarily uh, a Buddhist language in that, and everyone can relate to that. So, uh, how do you interpret your work? What, what is it? Is it a spiritual work? Is it a religious work? Is it just a psychological work? Is, is it kind of a social work? How, how do you see what you're doing? In which context uh, are you uh, describing this? That's a great question. Um, as you were speaking, I was really thinking a lot about what the Dalai Lama is teaching these days. And he's spending a lot of time going around to high schools in India. Huh? And he's speaking about secular ethics and secular humanism. And he's appealing to Indian high school students because he's saying, don't lose touch with your roots. I feel like what, in some ways, what I struggle against is the limitation of the psychological framework which is so the scientific psychological framework is the dominant framework in the States. Um, or at least it's purported to be, I mean, there's, there's a lot of other very strongly held beliefs that are somewhat unacknowledged, but ruling our culture, but that's a different uh, discussion. What I find in with psychology is that it's really helped bring tools like self-reflection and meditation, social-emotional tools to um, diverse classrooms and be sensitive to the effects of trauma, be sensitive to triggers, be sensitive to boundaries, be sensitive to um, questions of identity that teenagers may be struggling with, gender identity, sexual identity. Um, there are a lot of different questions. So psychology helps with that. Um, but it doesn't help teach ethics, morality. And morality has a bad name in America because it, the moral majority was imposing, it was a political movement that imposed very conservative values on the whole. So it's hard to talk about values and morals because we're living in a postmodern world where you're trying not to step on everybody's toes. At the same time, these kids are desperate for mentors that can help them find their own way and create uh, and adhere to a value system mm -hmm. that makes sense and has meaning and purpose, and nobody's doing that. Mm -hmm. So is it religious? No, it's not. Um, is it Buddhist? Definitely not. Um, I don't. I, I'm very familiar with a lot of Buddhist texts and terminology from decades of reading and studying and practicing. Um, I don't bring that in. I mean, fortunately, I have a strong enough background, so I know what is Buddhist to leave out. What I find is a lot of other 
teachers in this space don't actually realize what's Buddhist or what's not. Um, so I have a bit broader world religions background, which helps me mm-hmm. speak both to the Muslim students and the evangelical Christian students and the, you know, students from Southeast Asia. But what I think I do is really get students to think in context about large scale systems and forces and influence, including 300 million years of brain development. And what does that mean about our experience now? 800 years of cultural change. What does that mean about our sense of individuality, creativity, self-expression, lack of social support? So I get them to see in context and in systems because that is going to help them make sense of this moment in time and prepare them for a future that we can't imagine. Mm-hmm. And the underlying uh, current is how do we create a life and value system that makes a better world for us right now and between us and for the future. And that is something that we can guide ourselves with. Mm-hmm. So those are, that's, that's why I say it's deeper than psychology. Cause I'm not just helping them work out their anxiety. Um, it's deeper than history because we're not just looking at the facts of what's happened and seeing things in context. And it's not religion because they're not learning a specific system of right and wrong, but they're learning how to find that right and wrong in a way that is meaningful, makes sense to their cultural and ethnic context. It's interesting listening to you uh, because uh, obviously uh, in what you're describing right now, uh, what you're doing uh, with your high, high school students uh, goes beyond uh, just uh, mindfulness meditation. Uh, and as you were uh, describing how, how you try to go also beyond the psychological context, uh, I, it, it sounds like you're going in different directions at the same time. There's something with the mindfulness uh, which uh, um, I would uh, hear that basically it's just a, about awareness, um, self-awareness, awareness, awareness of the present moment. But in, in the same time, it seems that you're also going in, the, in another direction, which you call system thinking, which is some, and it's more a mental capacity to, uh, to hold a big uh, multi-dimensional reality that in the end is a system reality is uh, uh, quite a task because it's, it's easy to just see one fraction of something but it seems that doing both together, uh, uh, what I would call presence and uh, the awareness of uh, the complexity of reality in, in system thinking, uh, these are kind of uh, yeah poles of reality uh, that, that that hold quite some tension between. And then you land on something which I find interesting because uh, you talk about morality. Um, and one could say, okay, morality, gosh, uh, 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 but it seems, uh, uh, the way you're talking about, it's not about, a kind of, um, uh, morality in the sense of, of kind of rules, uh, uh, that one has to, but finding out 
or you, what what our values really uh, what is really important to me and us and obviously this is related to uh, just self awareness but also be aware, the awareness of a bigger context so it's, it's it seems it's it's kind of a multidimensional program if we understand you uh, that um are, it's also quite demanding uh, uh for uh, for young students to to engage with and i my guess it's uh, uh, it's easier to uh, meditate for 3 minutes uh, than to really en- engage with uh uh um, yeah, complex thinking uh, how how do the high school students respond to that and 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 and, and how does how does this work uh, what's your What's the experience of, of, of providing this? How do these this young humans uh, kind of respond to um, what you try to do with them? It is a multidimensional picture. Um, and the way that I'll start here and then I'll talk about how they respond, but we start... I have very simple exercise to get them to understand what the meditation is for, which is I have them take their hand and cover their eye. And your hand represents thought. And when you cover your eyes, I ask them what they see. And I go through a 10-minute process, you know, and drag it out. You know, what do you see? This is not a trick question. And they don't see anything. And then I have them move their hand a half centimeter from their eyes. Then what do they see? Then I have them extend their hand all the way. And then what do they see? So that's the metaphor of gaining space on our thoughts so we're not completely identified with everything that crosses our minds. And also that we can explore and look at our, look at the contents of consciousness, the thought and feelings that arise in our mind's eye, either close up if we want to see them carefully or from a distance, or we can, if we, have some distance from our thoughts, we can look away and not be so consumed by them. Mm-hmm. So that's what the meditation is for. The mindfulness is we create space on the objects that arise. And I, I ask them, I get them to explore the difference between mind, the brain, the organ of consciousness, thought, the objects that arise in consciousness and awareness, that which is aware of them all. And at 16, 15, 16, 17, Students can definitely answer that. And they love to be asked these unanswerable questions where they're not just trying to get it right. They're really trying to explore. So from that space, um, as separate from thought, that's enough. And then I, we talk about how now they can start to explore complexity. They can start to see big influence. They can start to understand how they feel as related to all these big influences over time, over culture, related to our physiology, related to our Neanderthal history. And it all becomes very interesting to them. So we're, we, we create a space for them through the practice of meditation to begin to explore and awaken their curiosity about how life works. A lot of the practices are, this is how to practice before a test when you're panicked and your mind goes blank. Mm -hmm. But we also talk about, well, this is what's going on um, when your survival response kicks in and you go blank and this is how to let your brain settle down. So we use a lot of contemporary neuroscience because the students love that. They love knowing how they work. 
And the unanswerable contextual questions, you just have to vary them with different uh, illustrations. Mm-hmm. And so the ninth graders who are 13, 14, are at a very different developmental stage than the 12th graders who are 17, 18, or 19. Mm-hmm. The difference between a 13-year-old and an 18-year-old is, developmentally is huge. So with the 13-year-olds, we give them different um, illustrations about how to understand these different influences, how to think contextually. And with the older kids, you can ask them. We could do a lot of group work. So similar to some of the dialogue work that you do with where, with adults, um, we don't put as many demands on them in terms of how to dialogue, but we do a lot of peer-to-peer group work. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is also because I recognize that we're there once a week for 12 weeks, and then we leave the classroom. They're there with each other. And if we can forge better relationships between them and break up some of the cliques and pull in some of the kids who are very withdrawn. It's going to help those students who are really struggling. A lot of adolescents struggle with depression, self-harm, suicidal ideation. And we really want to help build kind of networks so that they support each other so that things don't get that far out of hand. So they don't feel so alone. So that's, uh, there are a lot of different, like you said, there are a lot of different dimensions going on all at once. Right. You said in the pre-conversation also uh, that uh, one thing that's important for you to focus on wholeness. And somehow it seems that it's also connected to what you mentioned about going beyond the psychological paradigm. Because the psychological paradigm that we are very used to is focusing on our wounds, is focusing uh, on our traumas. And um, that is a big part of the reality, and uh, I, I'm sure uh, this is something that uh, uh, is there all the time uh, in, in, in rough circumstances uh, and with all of us. Uh, what do you mean with fo- focusing on wholeness? Or, or what, um, what's the importance of that? In every tradition you know, religious tradition. And I have kids. One of my schools has students from 27 different countries. We're really a melting pot here. Um, But in every tradition, there is an aspect of the philosophy that points to a unity or goodness or eternity or wholeness prior to any kind of um, multiplicity that occurred. Mm -hmm. in the world of space and time. And I feel like that experience is accessible to anyone, regardless Mm -hmm. of circumstance. It's part of um, our human um, ability to sense that current of life or beingness that although it seems to exist locally in us as human beings, it also, when we access it, it feels like it has no beginning and no end. It feels like it started way before our birth. And, you know, we, it has that mysterious quality of unity. Mm -hmm. I don't speak about it directly to the students, 
But I feel like that's the more foundational truth Mm. of existence. And that is the only place where human beings can heal or rise up beyond just unbelievable suffering and odds. You can call it that essence of oneness or like Viktor Frankl who wrote about who survived in the concentration camps and who didn't were those who felt a sense of meaning and purpose beyond themselves Mm -hmm. that carried them through. And that sense of meaning and purpose had to do with goodness, had to do with love, which also goodness and love has that um, kind of unquantifiable wholeness. Mm -hmm. So I feel like especially for these kids who I have kids who are in a very competitive international program called the International Baccalaureate Program. Uh They go home to neighborhoods where their houses, the windows of their houses are boarded up because of gun violence, that they board up the windows so stray bullets can't come in. Their parents don't let them out of the house at night or even in the afternoon because they can get hit by stray bullets. One of our girls in in one of our schools last year was hit in the shoulder by a stray bullet by gun violence walking to school at eight o'clock in the morning. So we, for these kids to rise up out of that, they have to have a sense of goodness that's beyond many things that they've seen. I had one girl, we were doing a meditation. It was three minutes long. It was the most distracted meditation. It was classic. You know, we were in this high school room, you know, so after the first 30 seconds, about five kids start like banging on the lockers outside the room and laughing and pushing each other and, and just messing around. Then the principal comes over the loudspeaker and calls three kids down to the office, which gets everyone tense. Then the, the room phone rings because the office needed to speak to the teacher. So within three minutes, you, you basically couldn't have had more distractions than we had. And we'd only been, I had only been teaching that class for about four weeks. And at the end of the class, this girl, you know, she, she, she raised her hand and then she said, she, she actually screamed. <laughs> this is the way kids are, but she said, there's so much freedom in here. No one told me. All the kids start laughing and snickering. She said, no, be quiet. No one told me there is so much freedom in here. Really, really, I'm not kidding. There's so much freedom. No one told me. That's what I want those kids to find. It's uh, it's fascinating the way you're describing it because, of course, what you're talking about, one also could talk about in spiritual or religious language. Uh, and it would be contextualized in, 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 in certain uh, understanding of the world. But uh, the way you're talking about wholeness and what you're describing with this girl uh, is just an experience uh, that I guess all of us uh, in maybe our best moments, whatever, uh, uh, can relate to. And what I find 
very fascinating because it's not only that we can relate to it, it seems to be obvious that uh, without the need of uh, uh, creating language around it, that this is meaningful. And uh, it seems to be, at least when, when I hear you, uh, obvious to me that this meaningfulness unleashes uh, a power, uh, uh, unleashes something, or, I mean, when she, when she says freedom, uh, she names something of that, obviously. And uh, I guess well, when you say to, to focus on wholeness, is to focus that this is something that is... Uh, uh, part or even core uh, of our human experience, and that it is also independent of uh, our particular worldview, background, uh, religious upbringing, whatever. It's it's something that uh, you can talk about in different languages, but uh, the most important thing is uh, it, it's there. Uh, it's, it's 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 something that is a meaningful part of 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 our lives, and that um, as soon as we uh, are aware of that, it, it, it allows us also, I guess, to, to come together in a different way. Because I, I mean, uh, tell me, but I, 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 I guess if something like this, and I guess this is, uh, um, not an, an experience you have every day in school <laughs> with, with, with the kids, but something, maybe in, in a smaller way, that, uh, this also changes the classroom. Exactly. It changes the classroom. It changes what's possible. For this girl, I never use the word freedom. Mm -hmm. I don't speak about freedom. I don't speak about awakening. I don't speak about enlightenment. I don't speak. I don't use those words. I don't even really use the word wholeness. Mm -hmm. But my orientation and what I work very hard with my instructors is that's the part of the kid, that, the student that we're teaching to. Because we're respect or we're respecting and honoring the essential humanity mm -hmm. and the essential goodness. And when we can, when we're speaking to that in another person and a student, they feel respected mm -hmm. and they feel that they can trust. They don't have to disclose personal things. This is not a, a, a therapy or social work session. We don't really speak personally. Um, you know, I let, the, you know, if the students want to speak personally in their groups, they do. But I teach them how to generalize their experience so nobody feels like somebody's invading their space and they can find themselves on their own. But speaking to that, essential human goodness, that essential human wholeness creates, as you said, an atmosphere of respect, an atmosphere of uh, possibility, potential, uh, upliftment, mm -hmm. aspiration. We don't really have to pump the kids up to do that. Mm. You know, it's not like a, you know, the pep rally at the sports, we, we simply allow their experience to be as it is. Mm. And we hold the space for that. And then students will find their own way to heal and their own way to connect and their own mentors who are going to be there. And they'll be able to be there for other people. So in a way, 
what we're trying to achieve is is in some ways very simple and accessible and non-esoteric. It really has to do with the profundity of human kindness, the profundity of goodness. Um, and when you put that in in a systems context and start to see, then you feel like, oh, these students are going to be empowered for an unknown future. Mm-hmm. These students are going to be able to deal with complexity because they're going to have wisdom, which comes from care and love and compassion. You know, wisdom comes from that deep goodness and, and being able to access that goodness in the midst of challenge and, and suffering and in the midst of being presented with cultural role models who are anything but kind and unifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but you take that and then you take that with ability to change perspective and take different perspectives and understand big, you know, long-term influence. Then you feel like, okay, these kids could be the leaders of tomorrow. Amy yells at the end of our time. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm deeply impressed. Just, just to, to say, uh, because it seems to be obvious how in its simplicity, this work, uh, 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 seems to have an impact. Um, if people want to know more about your work, uh, you have the book, The Conscious Classroom, also the Inner Strength of Teachers Manual. Uh, you, you also have your personal website. Where should people look for your work? People should go to innerstrengthfoundation.net. Um, everything's there. I do um, a monthly free webinar on tools and meditations for the classroom. Um, so people can sign up for that and get the audio every month. Um, and I also do a two-part teacher training to really learn how to teach these tools uh, in classrooms or other youth youth leaders use them for their and parents use them with their kids. Uh, the first part is all virtual, so it can take people from all over the world. The second part, which deals with the developmental perspective, has an in-person component because you really need to work together. Um, and people can and email me through the website. There's a contact form and I get everything from there. So if anyone wants to reach me with specific questions, innerstrengthfoundation.net. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. Bye-bye.